All right, welcome back to another EDU podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm Ty. And today we are going to be talking about Ty's favorite uh, learning style. <laughs> or my favorite strand, Our contextual strand. Con- learning. Contextual learning. So we're just going di- to dive in it like we have in the previous strands, our previous episodes, kind of talk about it, what it is, and kind of give some clarity. Yeah, so uh, we have a, a couple belief statements that we believe that students learn in a meaningful, relevant, and real-world context. Yeah, I think context, the big, the, and if you had our paper in front of you, the word that's highlighted in there in bullet is context. What is the context of how I'm learning it? Um, when you are trying to learn something, the context sets everything up for you. You know, if you um, are trying to fix your car, and you have to get to work tomorrow, and it is a real situation, or you have to fix it to in order to get somewhere, it creates that context that this is a need, this is a want, this is a something I need, correct? Yeah, so yeah. it's context uh, connecting that learning to uh, to the real world. Yeah, of course. And that means that um, I think we, we need to identify that there are all differences in each other's uh, personal experiences and our backgrounds. And so I think that in education, we should be providing these opportunities that help build those connections between our learning objectives and our standards uh, to those personal experiences and then the experiences of others. All right, number two, uh, teacher creates experiences for students in multiple learning contexts that expose them to future opportunities. So it's kind of as a teacher being that gatekeeper of what is possible and what kind of uh, future can the student provide for themselves, right, based on their context. Yeah, the key word I like in that one is multiple learning contexts because in any given classroom, right, we might have 30 kids, and that's 30 different contexts that kids bring to the table for any topic. So we could have kids who know nothing about something. They could know, they could think they know a lot about something. Um, and they may be experts, but each kid has their own meaning of what we're going to be talking about. And essentially, hopefully, if your students can identify their strengths, they can build off that context. They can build off that contextual learning, right? They can help others, or maybe you have students that share some of the same context, right? Mm-hmm. They might have some of the same experiences in class. Um, and honestly, some of your elective classes. Like um, I'm, maybe I'm trying to think, like, like principles of engineering, wood shop, they kind of build that hands-on context in there, right? Like it's that more hands-on building something, creating something, maybe a need, or maybe you're creating something for someone else, right? Yeah, I think a lot of times that might be the first time kids are exposed to those type of things. Yeah, of course. I think that that's, that creates a need for them, right? I mean, if they're creating a uh, real-world product, like we had um, our hackathon in the district, we had uh, students in, that, in those principles of engineering classes, we had them design build uh, some mazes for our hackathon that the context was this is a this is going to be used for other people right and they really excelled in learning how to code spheros learning how to do them those engineering principles where they got to measure create build things make sense yeah okay then that third belief that uh we have is for teachers that uh we foster and we accept those uh that diverse thinking and those products so um, we identify that uh, we all have these different backgrounds and that we all have these different ways of thinking. And so um, I think that should be celebrated, that we should give kids the opportunity to, um, to create and do and learn uh, and bring to the table uh, those different backgrounds. 
Yeah, and I think one of the um, main things I know, especially um, in my classroom, that definitely not my first year, not my second year, my third year, fourth, fifth year, and kind of going up, I was definitely more open to uh, products that my students created that didn't attach my predisposition to it. Does that make sense? Like, I would give them activities, and I would just tell them, here's the activity, and not tell them what the product should be. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're giving that, you're letting that stay open. Yeah, and so I let that stay open, and I was, I mean, I was blown away by what they could create and where they went with it in their mind versus what I thought should be turned into me. And that was kind of my mindset shift on there and how I thought it about yeah. it. So uh, contextual learning, it, it's based on an actual learning theory. Uh, it comes from Jerome Bruner. Um, so he's this learning theorist that was all about uh, constructivism. And so what that means is that you are, students are constructing meaning through their learning. So they're kind of, I think of it, I, I tie it to the word construction, right? We're building things and we're putting that all together okay. to create something in the end. And so um, there are kind of some, some main points to his theory. Um, and, and Bruner was around, he was around in the 70s. So this constructivism, it was really kind of a new way of thinking and a new way of doing school. Um, whenever you think of like the traditional classroom of, you know, perfect 1950s scene of kids sitting in rows and teacher at the chalkboard and, and has the book open and they're teaching, Bruner kind of came in and he wanted to change all of that. And so what he said is that uh, students should use what they already know to go beyond the information given. So it's almost like a, a, a one step further. And that's in 1973 he said that. So that's close to 50 years ago. Yeah. That's kind of like amazing to think that this guy was A, ahead of his time, but B, he saw this and recognized this in the, in the youth of, or whatever he was, the kids he was studying, and he saw that they can use the information they know and they can just go one step further with it. Right. Um, a- another thing he was all about was uh, student-directed learning. So kids are really guiding the learning and the teacher then becomes a facilitator um, through discourse, right? Maybe through some questioning that helps make the information that they're learning more understandable. And I think that um, it, it really is kind of the first time in education where we see a shift from teacher-directed learning to student-directed. And we know that that can always be kind of scary because whenever you're putting kids in control, Right? How do we make sure that we know that they're learning the right things? Um, what if they don't have the background knowledge to jump in and get started? What does the teacher do then? What is the role of, of that teacher? Yeah, and in that kind of context, it can be uh, it can be scary to turn over that control to your students. I think that um, it's not necessarily a open the gate and a free for all. It's a process, right? You you start you our students. And people in general. It's like getting a new job. Okay, take um, engineers, for example. Engineers go through X amount of years of college, right, to be an engineer. Well, it actually takes, when an engineer gets a job, it actually takes twenty-five to $50,000 to get them up to speed with that company. So it's kind of like you have this form of education, you have this. How do I rework you or how do we work that into what this should be? And if I want you to be more, um, uh, I guess, more constructive – more cont- and contextual approach. I want my students to 
relate it to their own experiences, I kind of have to open the gates and kind of show them how to do that, right? How do they take this topic and connect it to themselves, right? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, and also bringing something new to the table. That's kind of a a third uh, main idea from Bruner is that kids are going to develop new ideas and then kind of reconstruct that knowledge or their ideas by building onto what he calls the schema, right? So it's like they're, the way they think about something, they can take that, right, their background knowledge, and then they can learn something new or add to that, and it kind of um, makes learner, I, I think that, that that's where knowledge transfer comes in, right, where okay. they can take something new and then apply it to something else. Yeah, I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, even if it's cross-curricular stuff, if I'm in, and I go, I keep using engineering, if I use an engineering class, those problem-solving methodologies can be transferred to X, to Y. They can be transferred to these things, right? Uh, and I'll, I'll, again, reference cars. I know how to, I grew up working on cars. Those kind of problems and looking at those systems inside a, a motor or a vehicle, you know, there's a coolant system. Those are closed systems that operate within each other to make a motor run. I can look at that, look at that and, and use that to fix something in my house or I can use those problem-solving strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Make sense? So I'm using it in that context. But so contextual, um, the contextual approach recognizes that uh, learning is a complex, multifaceted process that goes beyond drill-oriented stimulus and response methodologies. Learning is such a complex thing, right? I mean, and everybody learns differently. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, I think it's how kids internalize it um, because uh, I was trying to think of a topic like for me for history right when when I had my kids in eighth grade U.S. history a lot of times I would take on the assumption that kids had zero background knowledge uh, when they came to me of anything U.S. history now that was definitely not true because they do get some of that in earlier grades but they may have a different understanding than maybe what I wanted maybe they have some um, misconceptions about what's happened in history it's just so important for us to not just talk about things but ask kids what do you know about this Um, what are your questions just dive into it so you can you can kind of assess what kids do know in the first place. I love the um, what you said, kind of address what students know and ask them questions. How, I would say that how often of in our lives have we been in a classroom and the teacher just starts talking around, they just assume we don't know anything, but we may know about that topic and mm-hmm. we may be able to, if say you have X, Y, and Z you need to teach, you might be able to skip X and just talk about Y and Z and spend more time on those. And those might be... Um, the root of the teak or what the hardest part is or a, what they're going to be tested over or what they're going to see later on in other subjects. Um, we know that obviously mult like English one, two, and three, they all tie together eventually, right? They're all, you're learning the basics here and you're getting more advanced and you're here at the end. Right. Our content's vertically aligned. Yeah. It's vertically aligned. That's, that's the word I'm trying to, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to get to. Okay. So the second one about the contextual approach is learning occurs when learners process new information in such a way that makes sense to them in their own frame of reference. And I'm going to go back to cars, right? Because that's my, that's my <laughs> cliche right now. I think about it this way. Like the standard kind of learning approach might be, you know, here's a class on a, a, a screwdriver. Here's a class on a crescent wrench. Here's a class on this, right? But more of a context learning might be, hey, I need you, not in context, but it might be I need you to 
I need you to fix this. And you pick up a screwdriver and you think, what does this do? And then you figure it out along the way, right? So, and the kind of where I'm putting it, getting that is you process, you're processing that information in your frame of reference. I need to fix this thing and I have these tools. I have to make this work, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I or think so. Or am I wrong? No, I think so. Oh, okay. One of my favorite learning experiences in the past couple years was we had uh, Google Expeditions uh, AR came out, right? The augmented reality version. Oh, yeah. And so we took this to, uh, to all different grade levels from uh, kinder through high school. But some of my favorite moments were with those um, kids in the first and second grade rooms. And I remember that there was this uh, one expedition where they're able to see natural disasters. And one of those was a volcano erupting. And so... It shows actually the, the moving tectonic plates and it shows the magma. And, and I remember just the things that kids would say and that they would um, just yell out. And they're like, Miss, you mean there's fire and, and lava under the earth? And we're like, yeah. And you can, like, you, you and, could show them pictures of that all day and they just don't get it. You're right, yeah. yeah. And so, and that's the truth. They probably saw that in a book or they've heard about it. Maybe they even saw it on a TV show. But it wasn't until. They um, they saw it where it just clicked and it made yeah. sense and I think for me those are the moments that they're the most powerful. But I think that goes right in hand with uh, presenting the same information in multiple ways. Yes, Pre- it, you know it can be. There are a lot of things that I mean I know personally that I've seen heard that I just it didn't click with me. But it was having to see it in person or having to touch it or, or handle it or work with it myself that uh, really got tied into. is an enthusiasm for learning that you can, that can come through with there. All right, so the last one is um, the mind naturally seeks meaning and context in relation to a person's environment, doing so by searching for relationships that make sense and appear useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so a person's environment, that reminds me of, right, the different backgrounds that we all bring to the table. Um, the I remember... Right, history teacher, we were doing, this was way before Google Classroom, Google Earth and all this, and and I'm a huge geography nerd, and so um, knowing where things are in the world um, is really important to me, and I think it's essential for history, and so I would always have my kids um, do a simple map, right? We're going to label it. We need to practice those skills, know where they are and whatnot, and I actually, I had a kid label the map upside down. And, um, and, you know, as a teacher, I'm like, fresh. I'm like, dude, you have it in a book. How in the world can you label Georgia where Maine is and Maine where Georgia is? But if the kid, one, didn't care, and if the kid didn't have any context or background, had that kid been to Georgia? No. Had that kid been to Maine? No. And they, likewise, they had no reason to ever look that up on a map until that moment. And so... For me, you talk about the, the multiple modalities or, or the different ways to see it. Well, now I would skip the map part and I would go straight to Google Earth, right? They're already labeled. They're not yeah. going to make that mistake again. Well, I think, too, you know, talking about that map example, the map, I think, was providing some context into where, like, if I told you I was going to go a 1,000 miles, you know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be in context until you, I told you a direction or, um, or where you're going. And even then, if you are, tell, you know, we, all, we draw off our previous experiences. If you told me you were going to drive to Los Angeles, I've done that drive. And I can talk about that context and how it was for me, and I can relay to my own experiences. Um, and that, when I hear, 
you talk about it, it brings back those memories for me. It puts it in yes. that. It brings back that feeling of actually sitting in the car for 30 plus hours <laughs> to me. <laughs> it brings that back to me. Um, and that's where our teaching can bring context to our students. Absolutely. And I think that goes to show that, right, with those 30 kids sitting in your classroom, they all have different experiences, right? We might have the few. It's kind of, it's not as many as it used to be. I think kids getting around and traveling and being different places and experiencing these things. Oh, yeah. But there are kids out there. And so I think that shows that we have to be, uh, as teachers, giving kids the opportunity to talk about that and uh, and letting them share their experiences because I think kids would much rather hear that from their peers than they would a teacher. Yeah, exactly. of course, yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about contextual learning. So some of the characteristics there. We've talked about what it recognizes. We've talked about, you know, what it is. But what, what are some characteristics? So if you uh, are listening to this and you're like, man, that's really vague, so we'll get into that. So emphasizing problem solving. So we want our students to be solving some sort of problem, and we want to be solving from the context of their lives. What is, um, what's important to them, right? Right, a real-world problem. Real-world problems. that's what so that's So if word. we're studying about speed, maybe in math or science acceleration, how could we teach that in a, how could we bring a real-world scenario to the table? I could even tell them up, how, did, how do we come up with speed limits? You know, how, why is 40 miles an hour a speed limit? Why is 20 in the school zone? Why is 20? Do your students know that? Probably not. Could they research that? Could they figure out why is, you know, why isn't, um, I think over, you know, I've seen speed in, uh, in front of high schools, speed limit's 30. Mm-hmm. So I can go faster when they're, when they're bigger, or I have to go slower when they're smaller. So what? But I like how you, you immediately asked a question. Yeah. And so I think as a teacher, that's, that's the idea of problem-based learning, not necessarily project, but right, yeah. solving that problem. Um, because there is a reason why, and if they can figure that out in the process, they're going to understand the what, concept. What of percent of, what percent of P- U.S. drivers do you think know why there's a speed limit? Oh, I don't know. Do you know why? No. Oh, it's braking distance. So you, you have oh, okay. so you have that many at 20 miles an hour, you can brake effectively in order to not hit that person. It t- only takes you X amount of depending on the size of your vehicle, the speed, and it takes X amount of feet to brake. Okay. So that would be something they would figure out then. Okay. So if I'm driving a semi and I'm at 20 miles an hour and I brake, it's going to take me the X amount of feet to stop. So see if you hadn't explained that, I wouldn't have that context right now. So yeah, now right? I'm trying to stop. <laughs> I'll know that I need to save enough space. Of course, yeah. So next one is recognizing that teaching and learning need to occur in multiple uh, contexts. And so the speed example that we just did might work for some of your students. It works for me because I love automobiles. I love cars. I love anything with a motor. Um, That context of speed might not work for me. In another context, it might be how... um, what about our what about our athletes uh, yeah how fast do they run what uh how fast can you do this what um if you're going to run 100 meters in x amount of seconds what is your speed so i wonder if do you then teach the concept of speed first and then let kids explore it through their passion or through what interests them or do you bring that to the table first? What do you uh, I've taught speed in sixth, sixth grade several years, and I would say that the context of it would be is going to be more meaningful for them. I mean, I, I know that. I know when you do speed calculations on paper, it's abstract. It doesn't make sense. But your athletes, they, I would say that I don't know how many coaches have uh, speed guns. I would assume speed it's... Speed guns? Or whatever. Maybe some stopwatches? They, stopwatch, they got stopwatches for sure. <laughs> but... 
you can have your students calculate their own speed. And I tell you this, athletes love to know how fast they are. <laughs> they love how fast they are. So, but you say multiple contexts. So let's say we let the athletes deal with with uh, sports. Speed, we yeah. let With speed, we, we let the uh, car enthusiasts, yeah. right, learn it through uh, braking and through all that. And we let different groups learn it uh, how they want and what how they're excited about it. Yeah. But... The part we can't forget is bringing all those experiences back together, sharing those, talking about them, comparing them, right? Seeing is if do we calculate speed the same way for all of it? Yeah, yeah. it's all the same, right? And, and also, I would say looking at your, it's almost like you have to look at your standards and say, what do I need to know? Not look at anything else. Just look at the standard. What do I need to know? The standard will tell you everything you need right there in one sentence. It'll tell you this is what you need. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know a lot of times, you know, sometimes we, it happens, you get off topic or, but it's about that standard and what you need. So the next one is assisting students in learning how to monitor their learning and thereby becoming self-regulated learners. So they are, Ty? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that kind of goes back to what Bruner was trying to do is that Yes, we're letting students um, direct, right? It's, it's student-centered. They're directing that. Um, but he also mentioned how uh, the teacher then becomes kind of a facilitator. We've talked about how one step further a teacher could become a coach in that. So if we can uh, embed, I think, some checks for understanding yeah. along along the way of, um, like, while they're learning about speed, um, we can make sure that kids are on the right track with that. Um, and then kids over time should be able to tell whether or not they are understanding it or getting it, whether or not they um, are mastering that, that standard. And I love the next one. It says encouraging students to learn from each other. I don't know about, you know, every career I know about mine. I very, I've learned my deepest lessons, not from probably not from professors, it's mostly from those real-world experiences that I've gotten, right? I think everyone can relate to that. Yes, Yes, you learn from educators, you learn from these people, but the deep experiences that you keep with you uh, for life are usually from peers. They're from other people. I've learned, you know, in this job, in this year, I've already learned so, so much. And it wasn't from a traditional classroom setting. It was from doing, from hearing, from uh, working with yourself on the podcast. It was from working with other people, right? Yeah, I think... I think I've heard Dr. V say before that whenever you are in the presence of somebody else, um, it is your responsibility to be the learner. If you don't get something out of a professional learning or out of something, that that's on you. Like there's always something to learn or there's something to take away. Maybe you learn something not to do, right? But you have to be open to that. And I think it goes back a lot of times to what you're passionate about. You know, we... Uh, y- if you are passionate about something, you will thrive to learn more about it. Yeah, you you're know, open to that. If you are into, I would say, you know, video and you want to create videos, you are going to be passionate and go on YouTube. You're going to look, you're going to research, you're going to learn. It's the context of what you're, it's not necessarily, you know, I would say sometimes it's the context of what you learn, right? It's not necessarily, hey, this is a real world application. It's what am I passionate about? Some people are passionate about a variety of things, um, but they are using those passions to learn for themselves. Yeah, so I think it's important to teach our kids that there is value in the thoughts, beliefs, and opinions of other people, 
and we need to be uh, open to learning from people who are different than us um, because they bring that a new context to us. And the last one is employing authentic assessment. This would be, I would think this would be the one of the hardest ones to do. What do you think? Yeah, I think assessment is tough because if we are learning something in our own context, right, from our own opinion, our own viewpoint, and, and bringing that to the table, then shouldn't assessment reflect that? Well, I go, you know, the speed example where you're trying to find out what, you know, why there's a speed limit, you know, and it's almost like, how do you assess that? How do I assess that? How do I assess speed for the, for, how do I do, build an assessment around that where I'm assessing these athletes learned why about calculating their own speed. These people learned about braking and speed. How do I assess that together? But if you're assessing the standard itself, right, the concept of speed and those rules and laws and, you know, uh, how how to calculate that yeah it it shouldn't matter i don't think i don't know i don't i don't want to go that far because it does matter how you assess it oh of course no i I think i think you're on the right track like it doesn't matter necessarily what the context is is that you're assessing the standard so for speed it's distance divided by time if my students understand how to calculate that distance divided by time these people are learning it breaking wise these people are learning it um through at through athletics the concept of speed does not change. It's, so it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. The distance, context shouldn't matter. Yeah, distance divided by time. It's going to be a. Con- it's going to be the same. And even on a state test, they're going to get that formula. That's so it's, true. So it's almost a matter of hey, this is how you find speed. I, I, I maybe it's as easy as hey, fill in the blanks. But I think for that, you know, for knowledge transfer, maybe applying that later on once they leave your class oh, yeah. years later. They're going to remember that they learned it through a way that they were interested in. And they'll remember it. And they'll remember more, it. Moreover, they'll remember it. So uh, current, so we, to look at a current perspectives on what it means to be learning, for learning to be contextualized, include um, situated cognition. All learning is applied knowledge. So... Ty, you want to speak to that one? <laughs> I don't know. You give me the tough one, right? That's so, why I gave it to you. <laughs> no. So if we take everything that we consume, right, everything that we take in, um, I think that is help. I think that's what, going back to that, that word schema, right? So it, it's building this concept and it's building um, our, our base knowledge of something. And so whenever we learn, um, we are applying all that we have taken in and applying it to something new, applying that to uh, a new concept or transferring it. That, that's what I take Okay, yeah, I, I, can, I can give it that one. That one sounds right. Uh, social cognition, interpersonal constructs. So it's, it's really about taking you know, what you've learned and using it in different areas of your life. I mean, the speed, the speed example, um, you, your students will be able to use that in different classes, that kind of mindset of this is how I am relating this information. Now, is that does that come natural for our students? I don't think so. I, I think, it, but just like anything in life, I don't think uh, anything really comes not anything, but I don't think a lot of stuff comes natural. I think it's more of a learned trait, right? It's a growth mindset. I have to learn this for uh, for the social aspect yeah. of this. It makes me think of 
right? You have your, I think your, your core group of friends, right? Your core group of people who you, you know, probably hang around with the most. Um, the more time you spend with people, the more you start to emulate them, right? You pick oh, up little yeah. mannerisms. And, I mean, no, there's been studies that say the five closest people to you, if you are improving your life, they will improve their life in some aspect if they're the five closest people to you or vice versa. If they, these people over here are trying to, let's say, get in shape. If your best friend is starting to work out and get in shape, it makes you think, well, Bob, that's useful. Maybe I should start doing that. I need that. to pick it up. I need to pick it up. But it's, if you saw some random person on Instagram who was in great shape, A, you're probably just going, ugh, they're in, I don't like that because they're in great shape. You know, that's not me. But if your people are closest to you, people you can, you, um, I guess in context of who you know, people closest to you are doing something or improving this or learning, it makes you want to learn as well. Yeah, so for the learners and the teachers, think about who you surround yourself with. Um, who are those people who are shaping um, your learning, who are impacting you, who are rubbing off on you? And it might be that in your classroom you have um, – you have your kids in groups and it might not be, it might be groups off based off how they learn or how they, I mean, not every personality collides or mixes. So it might be people who in certain groups learn best together. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have, I think we've all established that in our classroom is that, um, we have groups, you know, I just, I did, I had a pre AP classroom. I did that. I had groups. They just, they clicked, they got it. And I knew, you know, and I would put some people together and they were just I would say this, if you come up to you and they're like arguing the entire time and they're like, <laughs> he's doing this, I think the tendency is, oh, well, you just get along with everybody. Yeah. But in reality, that's... There, and there's no reason to force that, right? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get to. Ju- yeah, yeah, just because that, you know, you grouped people like this the first time. Yeah. Hey, let's learn from it. Let's teach oh, kids yeah. that you can still learn something from somebody that you don't get along with, but, but being able to... Um, just that that interpersonal connection between people um it's very it's strong and whenever the interpersonal connection is is deepest between um i mean i'll even say like i think interpersonal connection i mean you can talk about bosses right you have a boss there are some leaders we'll say won't say boss we'll say leaders there are some leaders that you will work harder for and there are some leaders that you you might not put in the extra effort in but just that interpersonal connection right Mm -hmm. um I think that I think I think that's a clear representation of a leader that is drawing you in. I think I it's a yeah, it, it's a give and take um, relationship, yeah. right? Where you have to be open to learning from other people, but you also have to be confident enough to share what you know. And um, and then I think everybody can be better for that. Yeah, of course. And so we'll go to the last one is distributed cognition. Con- constructs that are continually shaped by other people and things outside of the individual. So I, I think of like those people, that's kind of like your um, uh, internal, your uh, like your safe group, right? And then yeah. I think about there's external... Um, pressures and external ideas and and ways of thinking that kind of challenge you and I think that that's okay but um, I think all of that combined help kind of shape our our view of learning I think it goes with knowing you're being challenged in a good way 
right? Mm-hmm. Like if somebody outside of your comfort zone is challenging you to grow or move forward, or I say this, when you're uncomfortable is when you grow, right? When you're uncomfortable is when you learn, when you grow the most. So if a, you know, a teacher is presenting a problem to you, say the, so I'll go back to the speed example, say the speed example of learning how to break, that may not be your best context, but if you, if you understand the context of it and why it's important, like you, you don't have to agree with the speed limit, but if you understand why it's important, it creates a context for you that you're mm-hmm. going to follow it, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't always agree with the speed limit, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get tickets that way, but... <laughs> I understand why it's there, and I understand what it does for other people. And if we were allowed to drive 100, you know, 100 miles an hour on in anywhere we wanted to, what would be the consequences of that? You know. Yeah, and I remember with kids, right? So, from from the time that we're born to what it, maybe teenage years or so, for the most part, our beliefs and our ideas are all shaped pretty much from our parents, right? Or from, oh, largely, from the, yeah. the people who raise you. Yeah, largely. And then at, at some point, and I, I, I truly think it's around the teenage years and definitely on into high school, is that that is, it's no longer, right, parent-led or guardian-led. It goes on to be um, socially led, maybe like from our friends, our peers, and our other, uh, other places. And then I think it um, are... Right, our idea of the world becomes a little bit bigger, and so that's when um, this one, this distributed cognition, right? Things outside of um, of our our normality, maybe our um, what we know of, starts to change the way we think about life and change the way we think about uh, all sorts of things. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, you're seeking approval from your peers at that point, and. Whatever, uh, you know, peers, teachers, whoever's around you, you're seeking their approval. Um, but, you know, if they, if someone, if, if I'm, I'll say this, if I'm seeking approval from someone, obviously it means I value them, right? I value what they, who they are, what they have to approach. If that person can challenge me and that person, say I'm seeking the approval of a teacher, I value a teacher. And I had teachers in high school and college that I greatly valued, but they did challenge me. And that helped me grow into, in throughout my degree, throughout my life. Um, and I still think about their kind of lessons that I've learned in the past. Yeah, and all, all those perspectives, that plays into building that context. So contextual learning is definitely multifaceted. 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 That's the, the key word the of key the The key word, yes. It's not just, you know, I'm going to give the kids a problem. It's, it's relationships. It's giving them problems. It's making them um, sometimes opening their eyes to seeing what uh, – what the greater good, the greater potential of, of X or Y is. So the last part of today, uh, today's pause, we're going to talk about some questions to address when defining and developing a contextual task. Uh, we realize that sometimes that a lot of contextual learning, I mean, I think some of it's kind of vague, right? Not vague, that's not the right word. I think it's... Maybe uh, challenging? Challenging to get your head around, right? How do I change my teaching from what it is now, or how do I add this into um, my bag, right? Yeah, so... For history, it's it's always a challenge for me, right? Because why do these kids want to learn about something that's hundreds and thousands of years old, right? Because yeah. they, they don't care. They don't have context, right? It's, it's not real life. So how do you make it real life? And so I think um, asking yourself some of these questions whenever you're planning learning experiences will help you develop some of those. And I almost think, too, you have, like, I love history. I know you love history as well. You're going to have those kids that it naturally intrigues, mm-hmm. right? Like, looking at pictures of ancient Egypt fascinates me. Uh-huh. I, 
I can't wrap my head around how they could do do everything they did, build and the lives they led. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have those students that just naturally history's their bag. Yeah. They love it. But you're going to have more that it's probably not their but not their favorite subject. Yeah, and one of my I think what we have to do, how do you make it relevant, right? Yeah. Well, how does that affect them today? Because chances history repeats itself, right? Over and over well, and over we see the same uh, same things happening. Yeah. And so I think if we can present it in a way where even though we have to teach the old stuff, the new stuff or the current things that are happening, current events, right? That, that's one way yeah. to, to, to tie well, that in. One of the, th- um, I don't, you can help me, I don't know if this clearly defines contextual learning, but I did an, I did an activity with uh, some high school students earlier this year where immigration is obviously a hot topic. Well, I got them, we, as me and the teacher, we had them research immigration policies from past presidents, like mm-hmm. for the 20s, 40s, 50s, 1800s. And they really got to see that, wow, we're still dealing with some of the same problems. And it's not necessarily a problem of, you know, people coming in the country. It's how do we handle, how do we as a uh, country use our economic policy to handle this in the most responsible way? Right. And so, I mean, I think in eighth grade, we have to teach essentially that same thing. But we're talking about it in terms of you know, around in the late 1700s where we're dealing with our first and second president and how are we um, going to respond to people who are coming into America, right? And so there were, there were definitely um, some different opinions there. And, and I- actually... Ironically, that's when political parties in America yes. started developing, right? Because you have two different viewpoints, maybe more than two. Um, but if, if we're immigration, right, it huge hot topic right now. Oh, yeah. And so if I were teaching that to my eighth graders in terms of the late 1700s, you talk about what's happening today because kids know what's up. They are in social media. They're in the news. And I think it's it's... Um, it can be challenging because we yeah. have to do it in a, a non-biased way, but um, but talking about it certainly is and necessary. I, I think too, you have to really. Uh, it's sometimes it's kind of like getting outside of your own head. The, the context of um, whatever your students experienced, you know, you do have students whose parents have immigrated over here. Absolutely. So, w- what context do they have? Uh, you have students who have never. D- dealt with immigration in any facet. Their context is different. You have students that just see what's on the news or what they see a headline. You know, what, what's the term now? The headline, they have the big headlines. They just, I can't remember the term. Anyway, you see a headline and that's all you read is the headline. You don't read the article. You just mm-hmm. see the headline. But yeah, it's how do you put it in that context and then tie it back to something two, 300 years ago. Uh, but those are all, I think that alone is a, uh, I know that activity that we did really, was very powerful for some students and really opened their eyes because there were some things in immigration that they agreed with that they got to sit in groups and talk to people and hear their personal experiences with it. And and I we did not ask students to share anything personal whatsoever, mm-hmm. but it was such a topic that they felt they had to share. And it's not that you were trying to change their minds no, in not any at way. All. You were just having a conversation. Maybe it was the first time some kids have heard about it, so they're or or seen immigration policy, right? And so they're they're able to ask questions. They're able to hear the opinions of other people, and we're learning how to have a civil conversation and how to yes. learn from each other um, in a in a non threatening way. And the one of the things that uh, I tie back to that constantly is all of the stuff that you said. But I'm they're getting to see the world uh, from another point of view, and also. These are high school kids. 
they don't necessarily have the most sophisticated economic vision yet, right? Right. They I don't, mean, I didn't. Did you? Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. not at all. But we definitely, you know, and they may they may provide some wrong information. Oh, of course. They're going to they're going to say something that they believe is pure fact and it and it really isn't. Yes. And so how can we and the, the question, you know, you asked that in that assignment or that activity because it was a collaborative slides where they were put they were creating their own economic policy and putting it on this um, they were creating a classroom economic immigration policy. Mm-hmm. So the question I asked myself is how does this how does doing this research on economic policy shape maybe their voting style, their trends? Mm-hmm. How, how does that, can they think back to that context later in life and think, right. you know what, I did this, this is what I was able to do. Maybe I need to do some research now and figure out what this is really about because I thought immigration policy was this and I found out, wow, it's completely different. So how does that shape in the future and create... Um, maybe smarter, better, more educated voters. I don't know. I think those are the types of learning experiences that I'm after. Yes, I'm all about. 100%. And whenever we're, if, if we had to ask one question um, that we have to make sure, how does the task fulfill the intended learning goal? And so I think of it as like a twofer, right? So yes, kids are learning about immigration and they're, they're learning about this and yeah. all those things that you just mentioned, but did that project, are we now able to actually talk about the standard of immigration policies and how they were shaped by the politics of that time? Absolutely. I think oh, those course, kids could yeah. do that. No, I mean, I think they can look at the 1700s and now that they know current, um, and because I'll say this, if you're trying to teach economic policy from the 1700s, it might be a good idea to start in the context of today. Because the, if you start with the 1700s, that's not going to matter to me. Yeah. That, well, and they don't know about it. They don't know about it. And it's, A, it's not going to matter to me. Me personally, I'm not saying them, me personally. <laughs> but if I were to look at it in the context of today and realize what's going on today, that might put it more in a better context for me where I think, okay, well, these people obviously 300 years ago thought a lot differently than we do today. And actually that lesson that you did, that was a constructivist lesson, right? Yeah. Kids created their own policies, right? Yeah. And so at some point there was some knowledge transfer of from what they created on their own, now they can take that and they can apply it to, well, what does this have to do with the way it really is or the way it used to be? And so I think, I mean, that sounds like, you know, that nailed it. Yeah, and that was kind of really the goal with that one. Um, but yeah, is there, what other questions do you want to address in here? So questions to address when defining and developing a contextual task. Um, isn't is well, it? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, is the task an engaging learning experience in, you know, I think that's where you kind of have to step outside. That question alone makes me think, maybe I should step outside of my own, what I think is engaging, right? Mm-hmm. And teach and think about what's engaging for my students. And that's where um, planning comes into play. You might brainstorm with people, or maybe ask people in another subject. If you're in, if you're in, that's in um, social studies, right? Mm-hmm. If I were to go ask an English teacher, what do you think about this activity? What do you think about what do you think about it? If they were to sit there, well, it's kind of boring, and I don't really understand it. That might be um, a cue that there's something that might be need to be tweaked or changed, mm-hmm. right, to make it really contextual for your students. I'd like to ask the kids. Yeah, I ask mean, them. if you want to know what's engaging to students, ask them. Hey, how do you want to learn this? What would be fun? Or what do you wish? Or what do you wonder about? Um, there's Right. If we value how our kids learn things, I think we go straight to the source. 
Okay, cool. So the, hopefully that was just uh, this podcast would help you kind of get into contextual learning and really hopefully give you a better idea of what it is. Any final thoughts? So for contextual learning, for those teachers, we hope that you um, try to create those experiences for kids where uh, we take into account the background knowledge that kids are bringing to the table. We hope that you give kids the opportunity to, um, to talk to each other about it, to, to challenge and to learn from each other. And, and we hope that, um, you know, we kind of gave you some ideas to, uh, to tie learning back to the real world. Yeah, and of, of course, if you uh, were ever kind of confused on what contextual learning was, I know for a while, long time I was. I just didn't kind of understand how uh, how to design lessons, how to really do things in my classroom that would help my students kind of see the bigger picture of it and help them kind of use it in other facets of their life. But we hope that this kind of clarifies a few things for you. Uh, we'll, until next time, I'm Jack. And I'm Ty. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you.